This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Today Jerry and I will discuss the challenge of food access, food deserts, and food swamps. And why this issue is, as the Bayer Company considers it, a matter of distance. There are over 6,500 food deserts in the United States. These are places where economics and geography make it harder for people to access healthy, nutritious food. While the challenges for those in the rural and the urban food deserts may look different, their refrigerators often look the same. Homes in rural food deserts are more than 10 miles from the nearest large grocery store. But it is not just the distance that creates food insecurity. In the rural food desert, access to transportation is limited, and jobs often pay lower wages. These conditions create heartbreaking outcomes. Child hunger rates are higher in rural areas, and diabetes, heart disease, and other diet-related illnesses are more prevalent as well. Large grocery stores are closer in the urban food deserts, but transportation challenges and economics still make nutritious food hard to reach. People there must travel outside their neighborhood, past fast food restaurants, liquor, and convenience stores to find healthy, affordable options. Michigan's food banks stand in the gap to help meet this need in both the rural and the urban food deserts across our state. In Michigan, our network of seven Feeding America food banks and their 3,000 pantries helps create access for the 1.1 million people struggling with and living under the toxic stress of food insecurity. Of the many pounds of food distributed by our network, half is considered fresh, and we want that percentage to grow. We are innovating for the future, partnering with healthcare to make sure their Medicaid patients have access to healthy food when they want and need it. We are working on solutions of home delivery for those who can't get to the food, and we are determined to address root causes of why people in the land of plenty are going without the food they need for their families. Closing the gap, the distance between food insecurity and having enough, that's this week on Food First Michigan. everyone. Jerry Brisson joins me in our WJR studio where we create this show and then eventually someone somewhere turns this into a podcast and it goes around the world. 13 different countries, Jerry, where yeah. we have subscribers. Yeah, right. I, You know, I, I wonder if any of my high school classmates hear it. You know, those are the things that go through. They have the opportunity, right? They have the they opportunity. They probably go, Really? People yeah. are listening to him. Anyway, that's that's a different topic for yes, a different a show. Different, another <laughs> another show. Another show. So, all right. So we're talking about kind of a little 
antiquated term maybe for some people who do this work every day, but for the most of us in the general population, food desert is a term that's been around for a while and it makes sense. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a just putting words to to a truth, right? That not everyone is nearby the healthy food they need, and they don't always have a way to get to wherever that food is, even if they have money to buy it. Right. You know, so so it's interesting, and that was particularly true during COVID. You know, we learned a lot about uh, how do you address people's lack of access to places and and even fear of places and all that so lots of lots of thought about food deserts i i want to say though there's two things that popped into my mind immediately one is curtis michigan and the other is squirrels (laughs) and and they are they are going to be connected to each other but i grew up in the up which is very rural and um and you know what the store in Curtis, Curtis is a little town outside of Newberry. It's right off of US-2, which is north of Lake Michigan. I mean, it's a it's a kind of a resort town, you might say, but but not like the, you know, Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> like a resort town, but not. <laughs> yeah. But they have they have uh, lakes there, Manistique Lake and, and you know, North Manistique Lake and South Manistique Lake and Big Manistique Lake. You know, we're very creative in the UP. <laughs> and uh, and so in the middle of this little town is a is a real small it's almost like a trading post it's a small grocery store and they keep a supply of things in there and one of the things i learned i, I you know we lived just a few miles from curtis for a number of years and the people that own that store realized that people living in the community had less access to resources than people who were coming there for vacation hmm. so they actually had two different price models it costs different amounts of money if you lived in the community versus if you were coming there on vacation. And as people that were there, both having lived there and also gone there for vacation, you know, my initial reaction was, well, this isn't fair. But but your monologue highlights how communities take care of each other when they know there's a problem. And one way communities take care of each other is to say, gosh, there's a lot of people in our community that can't afford. They have no way to get to the bigger town of Newberry or Manistique, both of which are about the same distance away. But they need food and they can't afford to pay tourist prices. So we're going to develop outside of any other system a way to try to help those people. And that's what they did. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how people want to solve this problem and take it upon themselves to find a way. So that was one of the things that came right to mind when you talked about this. So that's a really interesting concept that has, you know, been taken not to scale. But I'm just going to reflect on when I first entered this, this work here in Michigan, and I've started learning. When you don't know a lot, you can learn a lot fast, right? So my my, my learning curve didn't curve. It just went straight up. <laughs> Eventually, it curved a little bit. But I, one of the questions I asked, Jerry, is why are we trying to solve hunger at retail? And that's what SNAP does, right? It gives people money on a card that they can use to buy food items in a grocery store or type place. And I'm like, well... Geez, wouldn't it be make a lot more sense if we were like solving it at a reduced price? 
you know, and we could say, okay, if you're using a snap card, we limit the margin, like, right? And I understand there's not a lot of margin in produce and all fresh, all that stuff. But that's, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, Meyer found a way to do it because Meyer here in Michigan gives 10% back to the customer when they use their snap card, when they use their bridge card. Now, we're going to have them on the show to talk about that and how that came about. But they got permission from USDA to give 10% of their money back to the customer. So solving this thing at retail, maybe we can do a little better than that, which your experience indicates. Yeah, you know, I mean, people care. And and it is one of the things that I probably can't say enough is how much people care and everybody and, and, and you know not that you can't find somebody that doesn't care you can find those people but i'm talking about in every spectrum of the economy from the very wealthy to the very poorest people it's amazing to me how much people care and they and they want to do good things and they want to help the community and they want to do the best they can do so so it's a message we probably can't say enough but uh, but it just occurred to me, you know, I listened to your monologue and I went, oh, gosh, that I know a way that that was solved. You know, this rural issue. I know when people care and they come up with creative ideas, it's amazing what people can imagine, you know. Well, I'm really excited that you actually listened to my monologue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we every are sitting in the same studio. But... One, every single one. It's the best part of my week, Doctor, without yeah, a doubt. Yeah, I think you just said that you don't, you don't, don't make me listen to it twice. <laughs> so, but, you know, before we get to the squirrel side of this, and, and maybe we'll do that on the other side of the break, is, is you know, I think that, what you're talking about is really innovation is how do we take what we have and make it better and that's the difference between leaders and managers by the way leaders expect things to change they want to create positive change managers like to keep things the same they manage a system yep and both are needed yeah but but what we really need to do is to continue to invest in innovation and that's something that a lot of our food banks are doing, and that is certainly a priority for us at the Food Bank Council. And then you talk about it, and you hear perspectives like, I, you know, I don't know how many of the small grocery stores in these rural communities that, that have a lot of tourists, how many of them have ever thought, hey, this is a way that we could help, and while it's, it's, it's going to drain some of our resources, it's going to help a lot of people, and, you know, yeah. and, and so by talking about it, and by having conversations with people, it opens up a path for something to come to scale, right? Right. So, and uh, so it's, you know, that's, that's part of the reason for continuing the conversation is there's still a lot to learn. As you say, that learning curve, it persists, right? It yeah. Persists. Well, it, for some of you, it actually curves. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, for the, for the rest of us, we're just trying to catch up. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we are talking about food deserts today and what we can do about it. We'll be back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. 
Welcome back, everyone. We're joined uh, here in the WJR studio with our prestigious, well-known Jerry from Gleaners. Right. Oh, that's right what you're on. known for in Southeast Michigan. Totally, all the time. And people call me Jerry on the street that I've never met before. So something's working. Jerry from Gleaners. They probably think Gleaners is a town from someplace. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe yeah. so. I don't ask that question. Maybe I should. So we have seven food banks that serve all of Michigan's 83 counties, and Gleaners is the oldest. And um, certainly uh, the other six are scattered across the state and serving every county doing that. And I said in the monologue through a network of almost 3,000 different pantries. So very quickly, what's the difference between a food bank and a pantry? So pantries are where people come, right, who are needing the food, and they're very local. They're they're usually not super big, mm-hmm. but they serve a regular clientele of people that they generally know, right? And so people go to pantries to get the food. Food banks get the food for the pantries. Right. Right. We're the ones that, that source the bigger picture of who needs the food and where does it have to go and find a way to support those pantries out in the community who are serving people. And a pantry could be found in a lot of different places, right? Like the, the, the at a church or a senior right. center or schools. Absolutely right. All those places for sure. And eventually health clinics. Yeah. Right. So, some of them have them already. Some we do. We're 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 hoping to scale. We're yeah. hoping to scale. Yeah. All right. So food deserts. You talked about pantry. The reason I asked you the question about the pantries and the difference of a food bank is, is one of the things we try to do is look at what data we have and say, okay, here is where we are taking the food, and here are where the people live that don't have access to food. Does these do these two maps match up? And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And when they don't, what happens? <laughs> well, so <laughs> when they don't, sometimes nothing happens for a long time, and that's the truth because you gotta somebody has to be there to actually do the work. But but for a lot of years, our our whole approach to food access was a lot like squirrels. <laughs> and and here's here's how this ties together. It's gonna work. This is gonna work. Uh so I read I read oh some time ago that squirrels don't remember where they bury the nuts that they have. They don't remember. They, wait a minute. So they're they're out gathering for winter. Yeah. And they don't remember where they hide them. <laughs> right. So you see squirrels digging in the ground and putting nuts in the ground, and they don't remember where they are. But because there's so many squirrels who put nuts in the ground, they find them. They find the nuts. and They, they might not find their nuts. They don't even have a clue if it's theirs or not, right? They find them. So, so food access for many of the years of food banking looked a lot like that. <laughs> People raising their hand and say, I, I, I can do something, I can do something, I can do something. And so then we're getting food and we're planting it all over the place with the hope that the the people that need the help can find wherever that is, right? And it's a lot like squirrels, right? Now, not to be dismissive of that early work, but the fact is one of the things we've learned about food access is we've got to do a little better than squirrel power, Right? We, we, gotta, we gotta we gotta be able to say now wait a minute did we plant enough nuts were there too many nuts did everyone who need a nut get a nut I mean you gotta be smarter than squirrels right so and, 
Now, I hope my wife listens to this show because she'll go, well, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, so so here's the thing about food access. The, the information about where people are and where food is, which develops the concept of a food desert because the food isn't where people are and they can't find a way to get there, is the beginning, not the end. Hmm. Right. And you talked about in your monologue the importance of looking at root causes, and that certainly is part of what we have to understand better. How how did people get to live in places where there's food deserts? How did that even happen? Why would it happen? What craziness caused that dynamic that people live where food isn't? Mm-hmm. So so complicated questions, right? Complicated questions. But But also, you have to think about impact on a broader scale you've got to think about well what would it cost to have food in these places what would it cost to move people versus having more stores for example when we look at online retail for example how does that change the picture for food deserts does it change it really well for everyone or is there a radius that has to be um, you know, maybe if you're five miles away from a from a big grocery retailer and we can deliver it to you, maybe that's affordable. But if you're 30 miles away, it's not right. So so you look at all these possible solutions and then you have to have a system for weighing which of these solutions is got the greatest cost benefit, reaches the most people with the food they want to need, has the lowest amount of waste and the greatest likelihood to be scaled everywhere where this problem needs to be solved. That's what makes us not like squirrels, Mm -hmm. right? And that's why you want this network of food banks working on this. Because a lot of the government programs for food distribution were set up to be quarterly food distributions just a little bit better than squirrels. We're going to, once a quarter, we're going to put this out there and we're going to hope people can find it. Right. And so we've worked really hard and we work closely with our people in government, with our friends and colleagues that do that work to say there's a better way. Let's think about how we can get this food integrated into the system in a more cost effective way. Keep it safe. Right. Because food safety is our number one thing. We got to make sure that we're not just throwing food out there and not knowing what happens to it. Right. Well, and again, I'll harken back to my comment in the previous segment, the difference between leaders and managers. When these programs were started all the way back into the 60s and before, very little has changed about how those programs have been administered and are being administered. That's why leaders come in and go, wow, here's a great resource. We can do better. We can do more. We can have higher effectiveness, and we want to change that system to make it better. And sometimes we meet, leaders meet resistance from managers. I do this every day. I like the way we do this because I know what we're doing every day, and they get in that system, and they're managing that system rather than innovating that system for the good of the people. And again, it comes back down to why are you here? We're not here for the program. We're here for the people. Exactly right. And when we think about the the obstacles to giving people enough of the food that they want and need, sometimes the obstacles are the very people running the systems. Now, fortunately, most of the people in those systems want and are eager 
to 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 do better and to do more. So so you know it's uh, there's a lot of people to thank in this work for their for their efforts, and we we certainly do that. Uh, and yet we are called to getting to the next level, right? We're called to doing um, what we know better now because we're not just squirrels, right? We're not just putting food out there and hoping people find it anymore. We're, we're now thinking carefully about who's being served, who's being underserved. We have a lot more information about did we put too many nuts over here and not enough over there, right? And, and rather than just waiting to see who raises their hand and says, I want to be part of this food distribution system, we're a lot more deliberate about saying, here's a space that people aren't being served well. Now let's look at all the possible systems that could be put in place to serve those people better. Let's pick ones that are the most cost-effective and the most satisfying and that actually show a change in people's life for the better, right? And that's a much different process than it used to be. Um, and I think that's something that that's worth being really proud of. Yet, the work continues to, to I don't want to say, uh, to be challenging maybe is what I want to say. The work continues to be challenging. There are still places that we're not serving people as well as we need to, and we want to do better. So we're going to look at all the resources, including Meyer's program, including what can Kroger do, what can Amazon do, everybody, what can healthcare do? DoorDash. What can DoorDash do? Exactly right. And, and again, these are all people who want to make a difference and who are at the table with us, literally at the table, right? So at the yeah. table to take hunger off the table. That's a theme. Yeah, there, that's a theme, but you got to be smarter than a squirrel to do it. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely right. He's Jerry Brisson, and he is smarter than a squirrel. <laughs> and he and I will be back in just a moment. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, smarter than a squirrel, sitting over there behind his WJR microphone. Jerry, I've got a question for you. When we're talking about food access and we want to be smarter than a squirrel, so let's just leave the food out of it for a second. Let's just say the food is in the right place, the right amount of food, the right kinds of food that people want and need. All of that, we got that. How do people find out about it? Because the system is not easily navigated. It's like a maze. Talk to me. Yeah, so so the ways that we encourage people to find out about it, the first thing we tell people is call 211. It's the first thing we tell people. 211 is, is in most communities. I can't say for sure if I know that it's in every county in Michigan, but it's in many counties in Michigan. You can call 211, and the operators on 211, that's run by the United Way. Um, they, will, they will tell you where a food distribution is, the closest one to you, and what their hours are. And, and they have all that information that they get from food banks um, who provide that information to those systems. So I certainly encourage people who need help to call 211, uh, and, and that's a good place to start. Another place you can go is most food banks have on their website uh, uh, 
button that says, do you need food? Now, not everybody has access to the internet. And so we know that that's an issue that has to be addressed as well. But for people who do have access to the internet, um, you know, if you Google food bank, you're going to find a food bank near you. And that's another good way to get information. Still, the most common way that people get information is word of mouth. A neighbor who was also needing food, who found someplace that had food, who tells their neighbors, hey, this is a good place. It, I, I got food there and it, and, it, and it worked for me. And that word of mouth is a is a very common, probably still the most common way that people hear about the system. But I can tell you right now, I've been in two conversations just this week about uh, using text messaging to reach broader numbers of people. Um, and there's there's are several systems that are developed in, in, you know already to make text messaging uh, a way that that people can be reached with information uh, it, succinctly and actually it, it can connect to the maps on their phone and and other things that that help them find where food is. So those are you know some of the ways that I know people use to find where food is. So let me add a couple of ways to that because let me piggyback your text messaging because we piloted that during uh, COVID, during the pandemic. Uh, we got some money. We worked with a vendor and we had a text messaging app that would send the notice out. Here comes a food distribution on Tuesday at this address at 10 a.m. And it was very, very well received. So another way is people in Michigan can find help. So you mentioned 211, our friends at United Way. Um, But the Food Bank Council also has a for help line. And that's primarily set up to help people with uh, SNAP application assistance. But it's also used to screen to say, do you need food now? And then it also screens for age group, because if you're a senior, there happens to be several programs that if you're eligible for any of those, you'll be eligible for all of those. And if you're not eligible for maybe, say, SNAP, you still might be eligible for some of the other programs. And certainly everyone is eligible to get food that needs food from the food bank network. For sure. So I think all those things are... Tell that number. And that number is... 1-888-544-8777. That's 1-888-544-8773. I feel like I'm on an infomercial, (laughs) you know, at 3 a.m. kind of a thing. So that's the four helpline that's run by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, and it serves every county, every person that that needs to call it, can call it, 1-888-544-8773. And there's also, as you mentioned, 211. So there's ways to get help, and we want people to know how to get help because we want to serve everybody who needs help. Well, I th- harken back, I say it's a maze because when I was going through a difficult patch and needed access to food for me and my boys, um, I didn't know where to go. I mean, I remember you and I, you and I did a presentation for the Michigan Pharmacists Association and a guy said, well, how do we know where the food's at? And, and you said there's pantrynet.org. Right. 
And that's another way. Now, I don't know how current that is. I don't have any direct knowledge of how current that is. But I know during COVID that we were very diligent to let 211 know about where distributions were happening. So, I, you know, I, we want to make the system work best, not for us, not for the government, not for anyone other than the client that the person in the center of what we're doing that needs food. And we understand a lot more now, and we're going to understand even more uh, as we continue down this path. I mean, one of our one of our beliefs about why this problem is solvable is because you can start at a place and keep learning. And mm-hmm. as you learn, you do more and better, both more and better. You can't just do more. It's impossible to scale something if you don't also do it better. Well, so. you can't scale something and do more and better if you keep thinking like a squirrel. <laughs> well, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, They're doing the work. I mean, come on. They're gathering the nuts and whatever else, and they're digging the hole, and they're hiding them and all of that. They're doing the work. But is the work? Does the work matter in the end? Well, probably not to that squirrel, because you said they forgot, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, I mean... It matters that some other squirrel... (laughs) Hopefully, you know, the ecosystem and working together there. But the idea being, you know, what I'm taking from your your analogy there is that we need to be smarter than a squirrel is just doing the work isn't enough. Right. Right. It's not about activity. It's about impact. So one thing that's happened is, you know, Feeding America, the National Food Bank, who who the seven food banks in Michigan are members of, and the Food Bank Council is a member of, and we work together with food banks all over the country to do more and better, right? We just agreed with all these food banks to do a very deliberate community assessment. Hmm. Now, you might say, well, don't we do community assessments? Of course we do. Of course we do. We've been doing some kind of a community assessment for a long time. But we decided that our collective thinking would be better than any one of our individual you know, efforts. Again, getting smarter than the squirrels. Right. And, and so we're coming together. Over the next couple of years, we are going to refine well, I should say develop and refine community assessments for every community in the United States. Again, develop and refine community assessments for every community in the United States. And w- So tell me what you mean when you say community assessment. What are you assessing? We're taking a look at who needs to be reached that hasn't been reached yet. When we look at the system as it is today, what are the blank spaces? When you, when you talked about the maps lining up mm-hmm. earlier... We want to look at where those maps don't line up and say, well, gosh, we ought to do something about that. What should we do? What could we do? And so the assessment, it doesn't end with the the information. That's the beginning of the process. After you figure out where those maps aren't lining up, then you create a plan. And you say, okay, here's our plan. And, and what I really like about this is it takes a localized approach because every community is in a different place, right, and has different resources and different ways that they could possibly address food insecurity. But it combines all those local great ideas in a national effort to share and learn and grow in our understanding of how to get food where it needs to be. 
and the type of food it needs to be and the quantity of food it needs to be. And we're not doing it alone anymore. We're not acting like a bunch of squirrels and doing our own little bit and burying our little nuts in the sand or dirt or clay or whatever our community has. No, we're saying let's do this together without forgetting that every local community has to have its own approach. I love that. I think that is going to help us solve this problem in the long term as we get better and better at understanding, you know, what it is we really need to do to address where people are and meeting people where they where they are. It's a necessity, right? And we're going to we're just getting better at it. It's very exciting. Well, and it takes investment, right? It yep. takes investment to build the information infrastructure to because this is not a one-time thing. It's going to be, you know, it's not going to be static. It's going to continue to give us the information we need so that we can adjust our operations to meet the need. And I'm I'm excited about it as well. And I'm excited that we have another segment to do. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is your Food First Michigan. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is uh, Food First Michigan. As you heard our producer, Mark Blackwell, introduce us. Thank you, Mark, for doing excellence all the time and making us sound much smarter than we really are, which is quite the task. And Filling in the brain deserts? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Hey, um, Jerry, I'm... I'm thinking that we need to talk more about this in the short term. Uh, you know, every year we kick off our Michigan Harvest Gathering, which is a statewide um, food and funds drive on behalf of the Food Bank Council and our members. And so we're going to be talking more about the the role food deserts, the challenge food desert. But what we hadn't talked about today, I want you to touch on very briefly is What's the difference between a food desert and a food swamp? <laughs> oh, my Lord. Can I answer this question very briefly? That's always the first thing that comes to my mind. So I would just say this. Um, food desert, there's no place to go to get the nutritious food that you need to maintain a healthy, productive lifestyle, right? That's pretty straightforward. A food swamp is when you can get food, but it's not very healthy or it's very expensive. There's some, there's food available, but it's not the food that's going to have you performing your best, right? You're not going to have the healthy lifestyle and the productive lifestyle that's going to make you as effective as you can be. So, And there are places like that, right, where, where people can get food, but it's just not very healthy food. Or it's super expensive. Right. Like you could go to a, a store of this, the only store that might be in your neighborhood, and they might have some apples there, but the apple costs like a buck 25. Yeah. Per apple. Right. Right. And, and they're, you know, convenience foods are always a little bit dangerous for all of us, right, when it comes to our health. And so when we think of the long-term cost benefit of solving food insecurity, health is one of the biggest things we talk about a lot because just having access to any food for a short period of time, okay. But for day in, day out living, it's not the best solution for the community. 
Yeah. Well, and that, again, is how the work has evolved from its inception. And one of the things I point out and, and to people all the time is that food banking is only about one generation old. Right. Just a barely over 40 years. Uh, so we've not been at this very long. And when you look at it like that, we've made a lot of progress. And we want to make a lot more progress in the next few years as more and more tools come so, Jerry, before we get to the food for thought, give us your last thought about food deserts and swamps. You know, I am so happy that we're learning to be smarter than squirrels. Well, with that, it is time for a little food for thought, nuts or otherwise. Jerry, the first monologue I ever did for Food First Michigan was highlighted by a quote from St. Francis. You'll remember it. When he said, first do what is necessary then do what is possible, and before you know it, you will be doing the impossible. This is the lens I use to look at the challenges that make up the problem of food insecurity, taking deliberate steps to increase people's access to the food that they both want and need, is what our network of food banks do every day. Every day communicating, challenging, and innovating our way to a food-secure community is also the work that we do every day. We are doing what is necessary and what is possible every day. We are helping to make the impossible possible. We do this by following the wisdom of St. Francis and by keeping Food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.